graduation. It's called Jesus in Focus. And as part of that, every week I've, we've interviewed someone uh, that, may, that has a different perspective on Jesus that we do. And it's not a way of saying, it's not a way of validating everybody's point of view, but it's a way of getting us to think about what we believe about Jesus. And I've encouraged people over and over, read the Gospels, find out who Jesus is from your own reading of the Gospels. So two weeks ago, we had a Mormon bishop. Last week, we had a Jewish rabbi. And today, we have a friend of mine, Sam, come on up here, Sam Troxel. So let's give Sam a welcome here. So you can get on up there. Yeah, Sam and I are both Sam and I are both 52 years old, so it's hard for us to get up here. Yeah, he doesn't want me to. Actually, we're 17 days apart, I just realized this morning. I'm younger. Yeah, yeah, by, yeah, by 17 days, yeah. Okay. Um, so let me just give a little word of introduction here. Sam would identify himself as a gay progressive Christian. And let me say a few things, because I know people can, with all these other interviews, and next week I interview uh, the, the more, uh, Buddhist monk from the monastery. Following week I'll be interviewing a, uh, one of the leaders from the mosque here in Bloomington. And if you're, if you're new and you don't understand what we're doing, there's some, there's some letters in the side table that I've given to the congregation explaining what we're doing here it's, uh, and why we're doing it. We're trying to f- get a clearer picture of Jesus. But let me say just a couple things on this in advance. Um, Sam, there's three things I'll say. One, Sam and I will have fundamentally different understandings um, of the Bible and of God and Jesus. A lot of the same, but some fundamental differences. All right? Sam and I will have some fundamental differences on how we believe God thinks about sexuality. All right? Fundamental differences. The third thing, though, is Sam's my friend. And we can have conversations with people we disagree with fundamentally. And we can show them the grace and the mercy of, of, of Jesus. So um, the Mormon is not my enemy. The Muslim is not my enemy. The Jew is not my enemy. The Buddhist is not my enemy. The gay progressive Christian is not my enemy. All right, do we understand that? I'm, I'm, I want us to understand that's part of what I'm trying to help us understand. Is, and again, it's not like we're not going to sing, we're all in this together. It's not that. I'm not saying all common roads lead to God, but I am saying um, that if we believe what Jesus said about truth, yes, truth matters, but mercy matters too. And how we respond and and treat people who we disagree with, maybe even strongly, will tell us more, will show more about Jesus in us than however we are able to debate somebody. Winning a debate doesn't show the spirit of Jesus in you. Jesus never won debates. He won hearts because he loved people well. So anyway, I'm just saying that. So uh, Sam, why don't you tell us first just uh, where you grew up, kind of your church experience growing up, and then we'll go from there. First, can I ask, is Shelby here? Hi. I work with her mother, and I hear about her all the time. (laughs) Um, I'm from Martinsville. Um family of six kids. I have more adopted siblings than I have natural siblings. My, par- my mother, not my dad, uh, my mother liked to take in children and dogs and anybody, anybody else. Um, I was my great-grandmother 
would probably have been the first Pentecostal in my family. And so we're a long line of Pentecostals. My children are still Pentecostals. My grandchildren are Pentecostals. Um, Pentecostal being the branch of Christianity that's really emphasizes the Holy Spirit and probably really energetic worship. Yes. And, and you used to play organ or piano, piano at the church? Piano and organ. Okay. Um, Growing up. And that was my life until um, I came out of the closet 20 years ago, um, just about this time of year, um, and decided that my church wasn't speaking, didn't really understand me as well as I understood myself, um, and that I felt um, I felt God did understand me, and my church didn't feel God did, and I, I left. And that was 20 years ago? 20 years ago. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned, I was, but I'm going to ask this question. I know we talked about it. Um, talked about this a while ago. We, we've been having coffee together for probably, what, six or seven years. You emailed me out of the blue one time, and we meet at Feast or Bakehouse or places probably like that. Probably more than that. Probably more than that. Okay, probably seven or eight or nine years. When, when I get my age, I forget things. So, <laughs> um, You had said at one point, you asked me if I believed that God intervenes when we ask and when we when we pray does he intervene and I said yes and you said you didn't think so and tell us why you said that do you remember that conversation that was a long time ago, I know right? it was and I was I should have told you to ask that but I, I was thinking I don't that's a tricky one for me now because I can't say God doesn't I have had I have had situations where you know I'm because I, I do morning prayer. I'm an ob- Benedictine oblate of a monastery in Indianapolis. So he, he, goes, he goes to First United Church, which is a church over by, uh, well, I don't know which St. way. St. Charles Catholic Over by St. Charles, that direction. But he also does some Catholic, if we call it discipleship. So just kind of give you a sense and of that. So one of the things I'm supposed to do is at least pray once a day. I, I pray twice a day. I, I just like starting the day and ending the day with prayer. Um, and And it's a... I don't really do Catholic prayer. That's a bit awkward for me. But um, so there is, that's a time where I bring uh, some of my concerns to God. And I don't know that I'm asking for God to do anything. It's just these are my concerns. Okay. And I have sat there before and it's like, oh, this has worked out while I sat here. I, I, now I see. But this has already worked out for me. Okay, so that's an area of your life you feel like some, there's some shifting happening maybe. Okay, what do you, when you say you, when you call yourself a progressive Christian, what does that mean? What does that mean to you and how does that differentiate you from us? Again, not, not for the sake of argument. I've said before, this is not a debate, it's a conversation. But how does you being a progressive Christian, how do you think that differentiates you from us? I think I'm more... And I'm not saying all of us. I'm not speaking for all of us, you know what I mean, but most of us. I think we tend to be more willing to argue with Scripture argue with scripture okay and and not like scripture there are okay. parts of it where it's like no because we talked about this the other day yes samuel. yes samuel speaks to me because that's my name and i was doing a uh, a bible study class a, you know, a few years ago and when samuel starts hacking up a gag there's a point where samuel god has told samuel to destroy the like, king oh this is the dude i am named after and it's like oh Samuel I, I know the feeling but you were wrong and you are using God and you were wrong so so progressive you would say to some degree you you would 
have a different view of scripture than we have. You would say you may argue with it more or maybe disagree with it more. And I don't take it as literally. Okay, you don't take it as literally. Because you take it less literally than fundamentalist, right? Uh, I don't like labels, so I okay. suppose so. So, yeah. Um, and Pentecostals. We, we, would, I, we, I, we would say we believe it's inspired. I mean, those, everybody has a green thing on their, uh, their seat. It has kind of our, how we state our doctrine and access. But we, we would say we trust the Bible. We believe Jesus trusts the Bible. And we believe it's given life by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might not agree with that. My guess is you would not agree with what we've written, but that's why I'm asking you. Those words don't, sp- don't work especially well for me. But, okay. No. But now Pentecostals would, you've, would say you've got it all wrong. Okay. You, you are, you have not come up high enough. Okay. Okay. And they would say I had sunk lots lower. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so well, we have diff- that They would say I'm still in the same place with you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we different, we have a different description. Now, how do, how do you, how do you perceive we differ on how we understand Jesus? Um, cause we would say we believe Jesus is the way, truth and the life. And that's a statement that's for all all people, all times, all places, you wouldn't say that, right? Or you would alter that. You would change it. You would tweak it. You would shade it, whatever. I I think you would probably say that Jesus is the only son of God. Yes, he's the only begotten son of God, yes. And I, I would say that he is a unique child of God. And what's the difference? Because I think I'm a child of God too. And I think Muhammad was a child of God. Okay. And Buddha was a child of God. Okay. Um, so you may not put Jesus in the same unique category that we would. I you, said he was unique. You said he was unique, but he's not, he's one of others. There's others who would fall in that same category. Buddha, Muhammad. For, for some people. Okay. Okay, for some people. Because what you said to me before is Jesus, you believe Jesus is the way for you, but he may not be for everybody. All right? And that's where I think, that's where you, what we would believe would be different from what you're saying there and how we understand Scripture. But again, that's part of why I'm asking you is because progressive Christianity is as you define it. And again, Sam doesn't speak for all progressive Christians, neither does Sam speak for all gay Christians. He speaks Certainly for Sam. Not for every gay. He speaks for Sam. Yeah, he speaks for Sam. Actually, I had someone that was concerned about that because they said, was Sam going to speak for all gay Christians? And I was like, no, he's going to speak for Sam. He's going to speak for Sam's story. And I can't speak for every gay Christian in my church. Okay. And you go to First United Church. And so what's their take, from your point of view at that church, what's their take on uh, gay sexuality? Why do you go there? They don't have an issue with it. Okay. It, meaning what? I'm just playing word games here. Why, why, should it, why should it be an issue? Okay. Okay. So there again, they would have a different understanding than we might have about what the Bible says about homosexuality. Right. Um, okay. Okay. So uh, what other differences do you see between us and you? Again, not for the sake of hostility or debate, just, and we've talked about different things and we've talked about a number of different things, which is why I enjoy talking to you. This is what he does when he thinks. He just kind of. Yeah, <laughs> um, just that you take, you know, 
you have a bit more confidence in scripture than, than I have. And I, and I don't think that's... I, I really like to wrestle with scripture. And I like to, okay. And uh, a favorite story of mine is um, when, when Jesus... Um, the, the crowd, fed the crowd. Um, Feeding of the 5,000 yeah. with the loaves and fishes. You, know, you probably believe that he, he, the point to you might be that he, he actually made the loaves and the fishes. Yeah, some supernatural thing happened that the food multiplied. The point to me is, is you know, I, I don't, I don't look, I don't even, I don't get concerned about that. You know, I, I don't, you didn't I get, don't know. You, so you, would, you wouldn't go to, it was a supernatural provision, miracle of sorts. You would. But somehow he, I tend to think he caused that group somehow to start digging in their pockets and their baskets and coming out and looking, looking at all of us, that we are, you know, it's not just the ones that have food here today. Um, how, can, how can I share what I've got with those around me? How can I stretch this? So, so from your lens... And of that to me, story, that's a miracle. Our, 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 our lens would say, or my lens, and I'm not, again, I'm not speaking for all of us, I'll speak for myself and for I think a lot of us, our lens would say something supernatural happened and the, and the loaves and the fishes were supernaturally multiplied. Yours would be, your, your take would be what happened was because of the boys' generosity, it spurred like a domino effect of other people's generosity and people had food they were hiding and they all brought it out and shared it. And which, which you would say was the miracle because Jesus got people to be generous. Right. Okay, okay, okay. Um, when you, th- uh, again, label, which I don't like labels, but typically we are, ta- we are thrown into what's called the evangelical subculture, and that word means way too many things to too many people, but you know what I'm saying. What's your general experience of people from our tribe? <laughs> what, generally, uh, what generally would you say if your experience has been with people that have that label? That, that live in that mindset. People who believe, you know, believe the Bible in a way you don't. Believe Some, I feel sometimes, many times, that um, people feel like I am not a good Christian. I'm not a good person because I, I sleep with my partner, same-sex partner. And that, that that somehow does says something about my heart. And I have a I have a friend who is more conservative. I don't know that she would call herself evangelical, um, but uh, much more conservative Christian than me. And um, she says I go to church just for politics. I'm like, no, I'm. It's like, but yet, Mary Lee, I'm the one praying twice a day. And you're not praying twice a day. And that's, that's nothing wrong with you, but why are you saying I'm, I'm more interested in politics? She was saying she was interested in politics? No, or that you I'm, were? That you go to church? Okay. about politics and, and my social causes. Okay, okay. But you would say you have more spiritual habits than she and has. My social causes are working with people who haven't bathed. And working with people who are mentally ill, um, and seeing the God in them, 
when sometimes it's, it's hard to see. So would you, would you say that you've experienced like condemnation, judgment when you talk to people? Oh, yeah. I mean, like the first, I, I never asked this question. The first time you and I met, were you like afraid I was going to be harsh, judgmental? Or maybe, maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe that, that would, no, that but would it, bother me. Did, did you experience that? Were you kind of concerned when you first got, you contacted me because you saw my name on the Exodus website and we just kind of met out of the, you know, you said, let's go, we had coffee somewhere. Did, did you think, well, if it's true to my past and every other evangelical well, I've, I've met with. I've kept having coffee with you. What's that? I've kept having coffee with yes. you. Yes. Oh, well, okay. Okay. That's probably a good thing. And I don't like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're funny. It's tea that I'm drinking. Okay. Tea. Tea. But I usually do drink coffee. <laughs> Anything else you would want us to know about you? And again, please hear me on this church. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm asking just about his story. I'm not asking him to speak to us definitively, authoritatively as a teacher. I'm just asking about his story. Not, not anything different than what you might do to any of your neighbors who are gay, straight, Muslim, Mormon, whatever they are. All right, so what would you want us to know about you? Apart from being identified as gay or progressive, what, what else would you want us to know about you? you like, I really want to make sure they know this about me. I always go for humor. I play some mean honky-tonk piano. <laughs> okay. I, I was, if I was reincarnated, I was Bessie Smith in a previous lifetime. Okay, okay. And we're never, never, never going into Buddhism for next week, but that's okay. Yeah. So, but, but you enjoy but, music. But look at my heart. Okay. It's a pretty good heart. Okay. Well, thank you. Can I pray for you? Sure. We've done it every week. So if you ever would just close your eyes. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you, Sam. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Um, and Samuel, may the Lord be merciful for you and may he give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray, and we're going to look into briefly into God's word this morning. Um, Sam, I don't know if you'll be around. Oh, you're right here. If anybody want to talk to you afterwards, so if you don't mind, be that all right with you? I don't want to. Okay, God, um, we believe in your Holy Spirit. God, we believe uh, that your Holy Spirit is present in this place during this time. And we believe uh, the Holy Spirit's sole mission is to point us to Jesus. And so as we've, every week in these last few weeks, what we've asked is give us a clear picture of Jesus. Give us a clear picture 
of what his mission was, what his gospel was, what his good news was, what he came to tell us, and what he came to tell us how we can become the kind of people who are fully alive. So would you give us insight into our own hearts to all those obstacles that keep us from being the fully alive uh, men and women, girls and boys who are full of the life and power that come from God alone. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, on the screen up here, I have a uh, beginning of an email that I sent to someone in December. And I'm calling the guy John, John Doe. His name wasn't John Doe, but here's what the email I wrote up saying. It said, John, thanks again for the time yesterday and for your insight and wisdom. By the way, I want to correct something I said yesterday. Here's the scenario. I, I teach a graduate class at School of Education, just an adjunct once a semester occasionally. John is a professor in the School of Education that kind of has some kind of oversight a little bit over the area that I teach in. So he wanted to talk about the class, and as often they can be concerned about is uh, they don't want, you know, what they call it grade inflation. They don't want to have too many A's. You know, it's a bad thing. So, and he's, I felt like I was being cross-examined a little bit. It was lunch. We were having lunch uh, over pizza, and I don't know him that well, but he said, well, how, how, many, how, many, how many A's did you give? How many B's? I have 13 students in my class. I did. That's my first semester. And I said, um, I think I gave one B. The rest were A's. And, you know, graduate school, a C is like a, a failing grade, so mostly A's. I said, I, gave, I think I gave one B. And some of you are thinking, boy, I'd love to have this guy for a class. <laughs> but the moment I said it, I knew I was lying to him. Because I gave everybody in my class an A or an A minus. But I was afraid to tell him that. Because I, I thought, well, so I said, I, I gave one B. So I wrote this email to him the next day. I want to correct something I said yesterday. When you asked me about grades, I said I thought I gave one B and the rest A minuses or A's. After checking, I don't have any B grades. All were A or A minus. Why did I lie? This was six months ago. I mean, I, I, I just didn't remember accurately, right? I, maybe I gave a B, I thought. But as soon as I said it, I knew I had said something that wasn't true. I knew it. So don't, don't say it out loud, but why would I do that? Why do we do that? Why do we shade the truth alter the truth, say something that's whitish, lieish in a situation, in a conversation like that? Why? What's going on? What's going on under the hood? And when I went home that day, I remember I, I checked right away and I thought, I, I knew I didn't give any B's, but I checked anyway just to, in hopes that I had. I hoped I had. Oh, please, I hope I gave one B. But I, I knew I didn't. And I'm kind of a softie when it comes to grades. So, it's, but. so here's what we've been doing. We've been doing a series called Jesus in Focus. And we're going through, going through Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and let's, let's give the overarching statement here too. Jesus, when he came onto the scene, his one-line sermon that he said over and over and over again was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
That is the gospel. And I'll break down here in a second. But when John the Baptist was before Jesus, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus came onto the scene, his message was, his one-line sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. When he sent the disciples out to teach, he said he sent them out and and he said to them, teach the people that the kingdom of heaven is near. After Jesus' resurrection, in the end of the Gospels, it said he talked to the disciples about the kingdom. In the book of Acts, before he ascended into heaven, it said Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, taught the disciples about the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus was obsessed with telling people, this is the message I came to tell you. And again, the average Jewish person in that day understood the kingdom of heaven as being life as it's meant to be. Life where God is in control, the influence of God is in control, and what is true in heaven becomes true in earth. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, um, may your will be done as earth as it, uh, on, on earth as it is in heaven. What that prayer is saying, God, is what's true up there, let it be true down here. If it's true up there, if forgiveness and truth and mercy and goodness and patience, whatever is true in the place where God reigns as king, let that be true here on earth through me. So when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near, what he's saying to the average Jewish person who had been told their whole life, you're not religious enough, what he's saying is this kind of life is now accessible to you. You can have a life where joy, peace, forgiveness, mercy, goodness, a conversational, transformational relationship with God is not possible for you. And these Jewish people have been told their whole life, well, you're not good enough, not smart enough, not religious enough, you don't have enough spiritual habits, whatever. You sin too much. But the good news that Jesus came to present to people was, no, you can have that kind of life. And yes, the good news includes the death of Jesus and his resurrection, but that only opened up the way for his good news to happen. But the gospel is you can live a conversational, transformational friendship with the God of all the universe. Everybody can have that life. So in the context of that, two weeks ago we talked about uh, Jesus talking about uh, anger from the Sermon on the Mount. We can, you can live an anger-free, contempt-free life. You can. Last week we talked about lust and, and uh Jesus talked about adultery and, and the message of Jesus, you can be the kind of person who doesn't lust anymore. You can be. It's not a matter of just getting your behaviors in check and stopping everything around you and keeping your eyes closed. No, you can, you can have a transformed heart. So this week, so Jesus talked about anger, he talked about lust, now he talks about keeping your word, speaking truthfully, and here's the passage. Right, Matthew chapter 5, 33. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told... You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. So he's saying, you know, you've heard from the Old Testament. I could, I'm not going to go through the much different Old Testament passages where it talks about keeping your word, speaking truthfully. And he's saying, you've heard that told to us, keep your vows, and then go to the next one. Then he says, but I say to you, because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount often said, this is what you've been told about what it means to be spiritual. Now I'm giving it a, Not a different interpretation. I'm going to fill it out. But I say to you, don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And don't say by the earth, because earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black, unfortunately. All right. 
See, what he's saying, he said, what, what the habit at that time was, the, the, the religious teachers, religious people would say, I swear by heaven that what I'm saying is true. I swear by the temple that what I'm saying is true. I swear with my hand on the Bible that what I'm saying is true. And it was this sense of, it was really important that you could put something behind your words. I swear it's true. I swear by the hand of the Bible it's true. Instead of just saying, this is true, yes. And what, what was happening was it became a way to manipulate the truth because if somebody's swearing, I swear on the Bible, I swear on this, I swear on the hairs on my head, it's like you feel people straining to tell the truth. And Jesus says, just as a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't, anything beyond that is from the evil one. Anytime we strain to tell the truth, it's because ultimately we're trying to manipulate people. Back to my story with this professor I talked with. I wanted him to think good of me. So I shaded the truth. Say, I, give a, I, did give, I didn't give any Bs. You know. I shaded the truth because I wanted him to think well of me. I manipulated him to think well of me. And you, you might think, well, you know, I'm not in the habit of lying. You may not be in the habit of lying. But let's, I think if we're honest and we kind of really look through kind of our, our conversations... We can be pretty good at not letting our yes be yes or our no be no. So a couple ways. Okay, one is just blatant lying. Sometimes we just blatantly lie about something we know isn't true. And again, we're doing it often because we want the person, somebody to think differently about us because we're obsessed with how we look to people, all right? Second thing, exaggeration. One of the things, you know, I remember at the church I used to serve at, there was one person in particular that would always say, Always, that's an exaggeration, sorry. He would say, uh, talk about maybe some practice we were doing at the church, some song or whatever. He'd say, I know a lot of people that think that way. And I, and I, <laughs> no, I said to him, who? Um, I can't name any offhand. Because what's he trying to do when he says, I know a lot of people that think that way. He's putting a little more force behind his words. Like I'm, and I was being manipulated to believe it because he has all these people that think that way. I mean, that's dishonest. It's not letting your yes be yes and no be no. But sometimes we do that. I, I, that was in a church. That was another staff member at a church that would say that to me. I know a lot of people who think that way. It was his way to try to convince me to agree with him. And when I asked him who, he couldn't name one. Okay, factual but not truthful. This is something we're... Uh, I would say we're all good at, but I'll speak for myself because I can't speak for all of your lying stories. Um, I might say, let's say I get home uh, later for dinner than I told Kathy I would be home. And I might say to her, well, the traffic was really bad. So let's say I told her I'd be home at 5.30 and I get home at 5.45. So yeah, the traffic was really bad. It may have been really bad, but I may not have left where I was until 5.30. Meaning, if the traffic was good, I still wouldn't have got home on time. But I say the traffic was really bad. It's a factual statement. But does it give my wife an accurate picture of the truth? No. Kind of gives me an out, though, doesn't it? So it's a, sometimes we can be really sly uh, 
telling the facts in such a way that the person hearing them gets a different picture of what the truth is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I could say, well, the traffic was bad, or, um, you know what, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't meet you for lunch because uh, I'm not feeling well. Well, that may be true, but not feeling well was just, I stubbed my toe. So I'm giving them an impression that I'm really sick when really I'm just straining for some kind of excuse. That's factual, but it's not truthful. It's not letting your yes be yes and no be no. And so what, what is the truth of what, whatever my, doesn't happen as much now, but when my kids were younger and anybody whose parents would attest this, you know, they end up, they have a fight and they come down, they come downstairs and you're like, what happened? You get totally different stories. I used to ask my kids, and they never, I don't think it's ever helped, but I tried. I, I would ask them, what did God see happen? <laughs> and they'd be like, um, I don't know. Because <laughs> isn't that what the truth is? What did God see happen? Because they'll say, well, he hit me, you know, and it really hurt. And then you get the whole story, oh, but you shoved them first. You left that important fact out. But to their minds, which is no different from us adults, they weren't lying because they didn't deny anything. They just only gave certain facts that led me to believe a different truth. So the question I think all of us can ask is, what did God see in a situation? And are you relaying that clearly to people? Two more. Flattery. Or silence. Okay, let's go back to silence. Silence is when you know something that corrects someone's perception and you don't say it again often because of fear or you want to look good or something like that there are there are things you don't say because you don't want your husband or wife to know or your employer or employee or whatever and you let them believe what you know is not true but in your mind you haven't lied because you didn't say anything but you not saying anything is you not speaking the truth to them all right flattery Flattery is say, saying somebody, something to someone's face you would never say behind their back. <laughs> this, this professor I met with, he kind of has one of those personalities that you feel like you have to kind of get in his good, good graces. And I didn't, but there were times where I thought, I need to figure out some way to flatter him so he has a warm disposition toward me. But again, what, I, what flattery is, it's a way to manipulate the person to think positively of you, and it's not true. Uh, last one is just, I'll just call it shaded retelling. Again, where uh, you might exaggerate. You might say, well, he said to me, no, I did not. Well, maybe they said it in a really soft tone, like, no, I didn't. But you communicate it in a kind of a shaded way. And again, it's kind of that bigger picture of uh, what did God see happen? But uh, I think sometimes, I'm, I'm saying this because I think we often think, well, of course, my guess is none of us are habitual liars. At least I would hope not. But the Pharisees didn't think they were habitual liars either. And I think what Jesus tries to help us understand is, no, be honest with what's going on and then give the Holy Spirit access to deal with that. Because the question I ask is, why, okay, why, why do we lie? Well, we lie because... We want people to think good of us. We want our spouses to think we have really good motives and intentions. We want our bosses, our employers, we want everybody to think, I have good intentions and I'm doing good and I'm a good person. 
but we know we do things or uh, omit things that kind of leave that out. So we have to become our own, here's the word I used a couple weeks ago, image management. We have to become our own spin doctors. I got to make myself look better than I know I really was in that situation. Because it's hard for us, for whatever reason, to say, you know what, I just didn't watch the time. I was being irresponsible. That's why I was late coming home for dinner, Kathy. Who wants to say that? Although it's much easier to say that than to strain with all the, oh, the traffic was bad and I couldn't find the key to my car. It was in my pocket. I just couldn't find it. You know, I mean, we say all these things. It's like, oh, instead of just realizing, you know, deal with reality, open the hood up on the car and see what's going on. Because it really is what Jesus is trying to get to is the heart of the matter. The Pharisees were really good at dealing with the behaviors of the matter. Let's behave well. Jesus was really good at saying, no, you need to start asking, why are you not behaving well? What's going on in your heart that you think your acceptance and your love and your well-being in life is dependent upon other people having positive emotion toward you, and so you give yourself to manipulate your speech so they have that toward you? Often, that's because we're not convinced God always has that feeling. If, if I was totally secure in the love that God has for me and his forgiveness and his openness toward me, if I was totally secure in that, and this is what Jesus said, you can be. You can be totally secure in the love of God. It's, relationship with God is a completely safe place to be. If I was totally secure in that, I would have no temptation to shade the truth in any situation because I'd never worry about whether I'm an acceptable person because I know God accepts me and I could be okay with being the real me, and as God's working out and helping me grow to become honest with my speech or pure in my thoughts or uh, resisting to anger and contempt. So that's what Jesus is saying. That's what, again, that people were amazed at his teaching because no one ever told them you can become the kind of person who tells the truth all the time. Not even a shade, not even a shade of alteration, not even a shade of manipulation. You can become that kind of person. Simply, if you, with absolute reliance on Jesus, so when he shows you those obstacles in your life, when Jesus says, uh-uh-uh, wasn't true what you just said, when Jesus says that, will you listen? Will you respond? Will you trust him? If he says, you know, you didn't give any bees, Matt, will I respond and trust Jesus in making that right? Or do I just, yeah, you're right, but I still want this guy to like me. The last couple weeks we've ended with this passage in Romans. It says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Living under the law of sin and death, which sometimes we get really good at as Christians, we live under condemnation, self-condemnation. So therefore, we are on our own to manage our image well to others. So we will shade the truth because we want to look good. But what Paul says in this passage is, no, the spirit of life has set me free. I no longer have to be my own spin doctor. I can speak the truth. And if the truth makes me look like a flawed human being, then so be it. Because that's when Jesus can start working to take those flaws and redeem them to make my heart pure again. If I, if I deny the fact that I have any issues, I'll never get better. If you never go to the doctor, you never get better for certain, for certain diseases or whatever. But, but but Paul says is you can become that kind of person. 
I can, I can become the kind of person that speaks truth naturally. I don't have to even think about it. I don't have to strain for an explanation. I just say this is what's going on. And that's the message that amazed people over and over in the, in, the King, in the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. That's what he was telling them. You trust me. You listen to me. You do what I ask you to do. You will become the kind of person who is pure-hearted, truthful, fully alive with the Spirit of God in you. But it's only if you trust Jesus. Not if you trust religion. You trust Jesus. So let me pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for your spirit and your voice that speaks to us words of affirmation, words of encouragement, but also speaks to us words of correction because you want us to be free. So Jesus, we want to be the kind of people who give you access to our hearts. We don't want to just kind of be well-behaved Christians. We want to be people who give you access to our hearts and give you the freedom to go wherever you need to go in our hearts so we can be the kind of people who when we say yes, it means yes. And when we say no, it means no. And that we don't manipulate, we don't coerce, we don't try to uh, spin ourselves to be better than what we know we are, knowing that you can make us better than what we've ever imagined we could be if we just trust you. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Here's how we end it. Uh, communion or end at Exodus every Sunday we take communion and uh, Jesus said do this in remembrance of me when he said the last supper and again what we're remembering is not you're a dirty rotten sinner what we're remembering is I came to set you free those are the promises he made Um, so when you come up to take communion and Jesus offers himself to you what you're saying is I want I want I'm welcoming Jesus into me, and whatever he needs to say, see, do, operate on whatever, he's welcome to. That's what you do. When you come up to communion, you take that. That's what we're doing. So if there's some air in your life, and I said this other week, there's some air of your life where you're straight-arming Jesus in something known that you know is giving him the straight arm, like you can do this, Jesus, in my life, this, 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 but not this air. This closet stays closed. If that's you, it's wise not to take. Um, nobody, we're not trying to, we don't have people, we don't, we don't have no spotters trying to see who's up or down. But if there's a closet of your heart or a big room in your heart that you say, it's closed. Jesus can't go there. Then it's wise not to take. But if you take in the bread and the cup, what you're saying is you have access to every part of me. No holds barred, no locked doors. All right. Jesus, we're grateful for your body and your blood that was broken and shed for us and that what you said it did is open up this new and living way that we can be your friends. We can be friends of Jesus. We can be fully alive and we trust you. So uh, thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen. How we do it at Exodus, we'll sing a couple more songs and there'll be people at the main aisle and the side aisles with the bread and the cup. Just tear off. The bread, when they offer it to you, it's how we do it. And then just dip it in the cup. It's how we do it here. Don't try to drink. Just dip it. Most people take it right away, eat it right away. Some take it back to their seats. It's up to you however you want to do it.
Hey, uh, for the benediction this morning, uh, I want you to keep your eyes open. Um, and here's the benediction that comes from the Old Testament. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be merciful to you. And may he give you peace. Amen. Hey, uh, two things. Don't forget the Bible college graduation, like Dan said, sign it yearbook style to my best friend, you know, whatever. Don't do that, but whatever. Sign them over there. Help us with the chairs if you're able to as well. Next week, it's, uh, the interview is the Buddhist monk, just to let you know. So thank